series, our second week in a series, looking at the two great commandments Jesus gave. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, and a second like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, not quite fair to give Jesus credit for that because they both come from the Torah. Both statements are from the Torah. What Jesus did was he combined the statements. He brought them together. And in doing so, Jesus identified three important loves in the Christian life. The love of God, the love of others, and the love of self. Now this is a stewardship series, and I've talked last week about how people think of stewardship just as dealing with giving money, which is unfortunate because stewardship really reveals what we love the most in life. I've always believed if you focus on loving the right thing the right way, giving takes care of itself. Giving takes care of itself. When you really stay in touch with the most important loves to have in life. So we've encouraged everybody to do a few things to stay in touch with those loves. Last week I invited us uh, to do one thing every day to develop intimacy with God, to do one thing every day to serve someone else, and to do one thing every day that's good for you. Now, that can happen in a variety of ways. You can think of those as independent activities. You can think of things that might help you stay in touch with all of them. A woman in our church emailed me the other day and said, I am finding all three of these can be accomplished at one time by recognizing who God is and how much he loves us and calls us to be blessings to one another. And then she gave the example of such an activity of serving somebody that helped her experience God's love and gave her a feeling of joy and satisfaction for herself. So I hope you'll be creative about that and think about things you can do every day to stay in touch with these most important loves that we're to have. Last Sunday, I began with the love of self. Today, we move to the, the second love. We move to the outer circle, the love of others. And we look today at a very important passage in the New Testament. It's actually believed to be one of the first hymns in the Christian faith. Paul uses this hymn to talk about having the same mindset or attitude that was in Christ Jesus to be within ourselves. So he begins in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. And what follows is what's believed to be a hymn. Now it's believed to be a hymn because of the, the language that's used, the, the pace, the tense, the poetic nature of it, and we don't know who wrote it. It may have been Paul himself, but it's believed to be a hymn. And I want to focus on three aspects of this hymn that really grab a hold of the mindset Paul is talking about. In fact, I want to boil it down to three words. The word though, the word grasping, and the word exalted. So today's sermon's gonna be a little bit like English class. Do you remember high school English when you would parse and diagram sentences and you remember how much fun that was? <laughs> You're just going to get all tingly today in the message. 
So I don't want to hold you in suspense any longer. Let's jump right in with the first word. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. The word though, of course, is a participle. The New Testament was written in Greek, and in Greek, this is believed to be a circumstantial participle. In other words, it doesn't have to be the word though. It could be another participle. It could be because. And you determine which participle it is by the circumstances that are being described in the sentence. The way that you interpret the meaning of the sentence determines which word you should use. I want to give us just kind of a little taste of this. I want to put some sentences on the screen that have the blank to start the sentence, and based on what's being described, I want you to think, uh, should that word be though, or should it be because? All right, let's try this. Let's see the first sentence. First sentence, blank, the Colts really stink this season. They could still win the Super Bowl. All right, which word should it be, though or because? Though. Though the Colts really stink, they could still win the Super Bowl. So, yeah, you got the hang of it. Though, let's see another one here. Blank, the senior pastor, has a grandson who comes from Italian lineage. His name, Geronimo, means sacred and has nothing to do with an Apache chief. All right, which is it, though or because? Because the senior pastor has a grandson of Italian lineage, as my daughter was very careful to point out to me several weeks ago when I announced his name in the service. Geronimo's my grandson means sacred. Here's a picture of Geronimo with his Halloween outfit on. Is he not the cutest thing? Just takes after his granddad, I would say. All right, one more sentence. Let's try one more. Uh, let's just see how this one would go. Blank. Winter in Indiana can be cold. Wimpier residents begin heading to Florida about this time of year. All right, which one should it be, though or because? because. Definitely because winter in Indiana can be cold. Okay, I better move on. All right. Blank. Jesus was in the form of God. He became a servant. Yeah. You, you might can understand why many translations use the word though. Because God is lifted up. God is glorified. God is all-powerful. A servant is lowly, powerless. That cannot reflect God. But modern scholars say not so. They say, actually, that's a misinterpretation of the participle. It's not a matter of though. Dr. Morna Hooker, who is a New Testament professor at Cambridge University in England, says Christ did not cease to be in the form of God when he took the form of a slave any more than he ceased to be the son of God when he was sent into the world. On the contrary, it is in his self-emptying and his humiliation that he reveals what God is like. And it is through his taking the form of a slave that we see the form of God. There's no conjunction in the Greek, but if we supply one, then it should perhaps be because. Because he was in the form of God, he became a servant. Do you see what the Christ hymn is singing about? 
Our God is not one whose nature is to be removed from serving, from humility, from self-sacrifice and giving. No, 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 that defines the very nature of God. What's the point of all of this? Paul is reminding us of who God is and says that is the mindset that should be in us. Our nature, our identity is to serve. That's fundamentally who we are. Parker Palmer reminds us that the word vocation comes from the Latin word which means to listen. Do you want to know what your calling in life is? Listen to yourself. Listen to who God made you to be. Listen to the, to the character of the individual that exists inside of you. That's the very thing God wants to use to make you of use to the world. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, in his late years of life, became too ill to attend the convention, the annual meeting of all of the Salvation Army pastors and leaders, and it grieved him that for the first time he couldn't be there. So he went to a telegram office to cable a message, to send to the convention to be read, and and something that he wanted to remind everybody of our mission and why we're here. He wrote a whole page, and then he found out that the cost was per word. The cable operator added it up, and he went, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't afford that. He whittled it down to a paragraph, gave it to the operator. Operator added it up, showed him the cost. He goes, that's still too expensive. He thought, and he said, okay. Wrote one word, handed it to the cable operator, send that word. The convention leader got the message from the telegram office, went before the people and said, as we all know, General Booth can't be with us today. He is so grieved he can't be among you, but he sent us a message to remind us of why we're here. And he read the one word, others, others. That's why we're here. That's what we exist for. To be a people whose first question is not what has the church done for me? Do I like, am I satisfied by what goes on in the church? No, the first question is, is what we're doing being of benefit to those out there, to others? Today in Broad Ripple, the launch team of the new community of St. Luke's at Midtown is meeting to have a series of pre-launch services to begin to get ready for their first official Sunday on December the 4th. So many people in the church have worked so hard to get ready for that launch giving of themselves to what used to be the Broad Ripple United Methodist Church for the sake of other people who are not a part of a church. Take a look at this video where a few people were interviewed this past week. Yeah, I'm really excited about the Midtown launch. I've been participating in the events and I'm serving on the leadership board. I live right around the corner, so 
I can walk here and Pastor Mindy is my neighbor. So it really feels like a smaller, tight-knit community and I'm really excited about that. Preparing Midtown has been really a lot of fun. Uh, we've done just about anything that, that we could get away with, uh, with limited skills. Uh, for the I Love My City Day, we had three different teams working here in the building or around the building. We had a lot of people working that day. I think it was almost 70 and it was very exciting to watch. My team and I have worked on virtually every room and every floor of this building to get it ready for launch. The painting has been done with many of the volunteers from our launch team. We have a launch team that met eight weeks and also helped in all the projects. I worked Saturday at the Fall Festival and of course we were giving out bags of candy so every kid loved us. But I was amazed at the parents who were like, we're so glad to see a vibrant church here. A nice thing about Midtown and St. Luke specifically is that it's an open community and I know a lot of people in my generation, a lot of my friends have been turned off from the church in the past. Um, so it'd be nice to have a really welcoming representative church in this community. It would be easy to wonder why now why would we do this why would we why would we use money to go put into this building in midtown why are we sending people there to start a community because it's about others paul said have this mindset that was in christ jesus who not though but because he was in the form of god became a servant. Next word I want us to think about, grasping, grasping. It's another confusing word in the New Revised Standard Version that says, though he existed in the form of God, Christ Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. The confusion is that that sentence implies that Jesus was not of equality with God. That it was something he had yet to attain to. That if he had it, it would be because he had to reach for it. That, that it would be something he would have to grasp. And again, many scholars say translations more like the NIV get this closer to what is the intention of the hymn. Jesus did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. That's a subtle but significant difference. Again, Dr. Morna says equality with God was something Jesus already possessed, but which he chose not to use for his own advantage. Jesus was not one who grasped for a sense of value. He had value. He used his value, not for, his, not for himself, but for others. And it reminds us, serving is about using the value we have to give value, to share value. Taking all that God gives us, resources, sure, but talents, abilities, passion, influence, and saying, how can it be used as an opportunity for others? I hope you'll take advantage today of the opportunity after worship to visit the ministry showcase down in the Great Hall. We bribed you today. That's where we put the donuts. 
You want a donut? You got to go to the ministry showcase. Now, nobody's going to twist your arm when you get there. Nobody's going to make you go visit some of the displays of ministries that happen through the life of the church. But it would be our loss if we didn't take advantage of it. If you're seeking anything to bring greater value into your life, then look for a place where you can give value to others that's in alignment with who God made you to be. Browse the room today, look at the different opportunities to serve, and look for the one that kind of calls out to you. You heard Dave Bolander stand up here a moment ago and say, used to sing in the choir, got involved in Stephen ministry, lo and behold, by responding to an opportunity to serve, here he is on a path to be a pastor, to be a caregiver in counseling and help to other people going through crisis. You never know where it might lead, but I hope, I hope you'll stop and investigate because this is who we are. Our fundamental identity, like Jesus, is to be people who give value to others. My friends, I'm concerned about our world today because there are so many people in our world right now who are so afraid somebody's gonna take something from them. They're afraid of others. They're afraid of people who are different because they believe they're coming after something I have and it turns us into someone we're not where we grasp and we hold on with all our might to what belongs to us before someone else gets their hands on it. That's not how we're made to be. We're made to be people who open our hands, who release who don't live in fear of someone taking something from us, but we see that we receive value in life when we try to give value and share what we have with others. Dolly Parton, some years ago, began what has become a chain of uh, dinner theaters that provides a rodeo-style show. It's called the Dixie stampede or at least it was called that in recent years these theaters came under criticism from people who said the word dixie is offensive to us she could have gotten prideful about it she could have gotten defensive and said well they're my theaters i'll call them what i want to she could have said well don't come then enough other people come and i get a benefit from it she didn't do that She sat down and she listened to them. And she changed the name to just the Stampede. That's what they're called now. In a quote about her decision, she said, there's such a thing as innocent ignorance. And so many of us are guilty of that. When they said Dixie was an offensive word, I thought, well, I don't want to offend anybody. This is a business. We'll just call it the Stampede. As soon as you realize that something is a problem, you should fix it. That's where my heart is. She recognized that her true heart is to be somebody who uses the influence and the blessings that God gives to give value to others. One more word. The word exalted. The word exalted. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself 
and therefore God exalted him even more highly. What does exalted mean? If exalted means anything akin to self-promotion, self-glorification, attention put on that person, it would undermine everything else that's been said in the hymn about the mindset of Jesus who became a servant to give his life away for others. But, but if, if exaltation means fulfillment, satisfaction, joy, reward, that my life has served its purpose, then I believe those are very things God wants to give us. And this hymn makes clear that the path to exaltation comes through service. I believe when Paul was writing this part of the letter, he probably put his pen down as he thought about the people to whom he was writing and the path that got him to Philippi. And I can imagine he smiled before he picked the pen up again. You see, in Acts chapter 16, we read that Paul was on a second missionary journey going through Asia Minor, the heart of modern-day Turkey, and Paul wanted to go due north toward the Black Sea, but the Spirit of Jesus prevented him, and he didn't know what else to do. So he continued to head west to a, a, a coastal city called Troas on the Aegean Sea. Now, at that point, all Paul knew is my life is not going where I want. I'm not getting to where I wanted to be. My path has been prevented. But while he was there, he had a vision one night in a dream. A man in Macedonia, modern-day Greece, saying to Paul, come help us. That's all he heard. That was all he heard. Come help us. And he woke up and he felt that's the voice of God. And so he got in a boat and went to the ancient port city of Neapolis, which is modern-day Kavala. Several weeks ago, those of us who got to travel on the Holy Land, Travels of Paul tour, went to Kavala, Greece, where there is this giant mosaic that depicts this story. On the far left of the picture, there's Paul in his dream. And in the middle is the man from Macedonia reaching out saying, come help us. And then Paul stepping across from the boat onto the land of Greece, throughout cities in Greece. This moment is captured in city mosaics just like this because they're remembering the significance of the Christian faith coming to their country. I know there's lots of things the church gets wrong. There are a lot of problems with Christianity today. But they focus on the good things brought through the Christian faith and they celebrate it because Paul in a place in life where he said my life isn't going where I want responded to an invitation, come help. Lynn Gale in our church is a key volunteer this morning down in Midtown. She has gone to help Mindy and be her director of hospitality to coordinate the volunteers there who will be a hospitable welcome to the folks who come. Now, her journey to take that position <clears throat> is an interesting one. She came back to St. Luke's about a year and a half ago when we first opened the building up after COVID 
at a time of life when her life was not going where she wanted it to be. The love of her life, her husband died in November of 2020 from COVID. It's coming up on the second anniversary. And it was a painful time because she couldn't be with them. They wouldn't let her into the ICU room at the hospital. And some of you have the same story. She could only imagine him with a breathing machine and no one there with him. She just wanted to be present, to hold his hand. When he was being transferred for one last therapy that they thought might save his life, he had a cardiac arrest in the middle of the experience. She said that began a really dark time for her. It was very rough. And she felt very alone because she had also recently retired from 37 years of teaching in IPS. And she just wondered, what what do I have now? What does my life have now? She got a puppy, and it saved her life. Because she said the doggone thing has to go out about every two hours. (laughs) It gave her a job to do. She had to feed and love and take care of this puppy. And it began to lift her spirit. And come spring, when St. Luke's began to announce that we were coming back into the building, but we were not going to have coffee inside. You might remember that. We served it outside. We said, we need people to help us do this. And she said, you know, years ago I did that. I served coffee at the church. I can do that. So she came that Sunday and said, here I am. What do you need me to do? So she started serving coffee. And many of you, if you've been into the Fellowship Hall in the last number of months, you've seen Lynn in there helping to coordinate our our coffee and our donuts. Because she said it, it has saved her life. In a time when she was lost and didn't know what the future held, she would come and, and smile for others and put a cup of coffee in their hand and the thank yous that she got and the smiles that came back to her gave her the encouragement that she needed. So she's down at Midtown now and is going to coordinate the, the hospitality volunteers there. How did that happen? Simply because she responded to a come help. Come help. I wonder if sometimes we think that the answer to our problems is so complicated and complex we miss the avenues to healing because we don't think that that answer is big enough. Oh my goodness, come help, are you kidding me? I've got big problems going on in my life. Just going to serve coffee at the church, come on. But you never know. You never know. Last Sunday when I talked about loving ourselves, I ended by saying that when we love ourselves, it can be life-saving to others. Well, this morning I would say the opposite is true as well. When we love others, it can save our lives. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, help us to let this mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus, who, because he existed in equality with you, did not use that privilege for his own advantage, but humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, 
and remained obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, you exalted him. May we find the power and the help of Christ to be servants of others and discover your power to give us joy and satisfaction. Amen. So in the early century, or the first century, the early days of the Christian faith, people in Rome noticed a peculiar group of folks who were of a faith they didn't know anything about. But the one thing they noticed, the one thing they noticed was they said, look at how they love each other. Look at how they love each other. So there's an old song, maybe you grew up in camp or remember singing it in VBS. They will know, they will know we are Christians by our love. I wish it was something that every Christian didn't just see, but lived. That what people need to know from us is not our preaching, not our admonishments, not our doctrine, 